Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you this morning. Lord and I were able to get away for a few weeks to have some rest, but it's great to be back with you. And it's wonderful to be gathered as we are now with God's word before us. And uh, do keep it open at that reading from uh, Jude 1, 2, 3, 2 of the Pew Bibles. And on the back page of the yellow service sheet, there's an outline of where we're heading in the next few moments. And that might be of help to you as we uh, go along this morning. Let me pray for us as we look together at, at God's word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that a day is coming when we stand before you face to face without fault and with great joy. And we pray this morning that you would keep us, that you'd help us to understand how we should live until that day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was at school, I had a particularly zealous rugby coach And one year, just before Christmas, he announced his plan to get us fit after Christmas and after the um, the sort of break over Christmas. And his big plan was that we would go for a team run. Not just any old team run, but that we would run from our school grounds um, into the center of Edinburgh, where we uh, were living, up to the hill at the center of the city, Arthur's Seat, I think it was about 10 kilometers, and the first half was uphill all the way. Now, if you were to think of my rugby team as animals you would see in a safari park, uh, there were some gazelles on the team who could run for hours, and then there was me, the, the hippo of the rugby team. I was a prop in the front row, and I was not built for endurance. So when I heard the news of this team run all the way uphill, I just thought... I can't do it. There, there's just no physical way I'm going to make it to the top. And so when the time came, on the Friday, I did the only sensible thing. I developed man flu. On the Saturday, I rang in sick. And by the Sunday, I was in good health. <laughs> Over these last few weeks, we've seen that Jude has written a letter full of sobering news. There are false teachers around who are causing great damage, even from within the church. They look authentic, but are deeply dangerous. And so Jude writes to his Christian readers. Uh, He says back in verse three, he writes to urge them to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The word contend is a, a physical word. It's athletic. It, 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 it kind of involves effort and strain. It's like running uphill in a long race. This won't be an easy thing, this contending for the faith. It would have been a very sobering letter to receive from Jude. It's sobering for us now to read it together. Many centuries later, we now know that history shows us that this church that Jude wrote to, it, it no longer exists. Eventually, the false teaching that Jude talks about overwhelmed the church. 
It's sobering for us today, looking around the state of our nation, that the numbers attending church is in rapid decline across this nation. And one of the key reasons for that is because false teaching is influencing dangerously many, many churches in this country. And so Jude writes a sobering letter. If we engage fully with the the gravity of what he's saying, I think we would feel overwhelmed. I think it's tempting to look at the size of the battle in front of us, this battle to contend as this huge uphill struggle and to want to ring in sick and say we can't do it, to opt out of 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 the contending, to let someone else do it. But this morning, as Jude ends his letter, there is much good news that will help us to contend, to play our part in the battle we are in. Last week, looking at verses five to 19, Jude unmasked something of who these false teachers were. And that is part of what it means to contend, being aware of, of the error. But this week, Jude does something else. He turns his focus on the Christians and he helps us to see how we should be living as Christians if we are to be well-placed to contend for the truth. So how can we keep going? How can we contend for the faith? Well, first of all, Jude would say to us, stay in God's love. And we pick it up in verse 20. But you, dear friends, Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. There are lots of instructions in those short verses, but the key thought, the key imperative is there at the beginning of verse 21 when Jude says, keep yourselves in God's love. Back in verse one, Jude says to his readers that they are already loved by God. What a wonderful thought that is. But here, verse 20, he says to them, sorry, verse 21, he says to them, yes, you are loved, but, but now keep yourselves in God's love. Over recent years, dating websites and apps have become hugely popular. And um, I gather the way they work is that if you want to um, be involved in the website, you fill out some kind of form, online form probably, you give your, your, your details, you describe yourself in some way, and then you, you finish the form and you, you post it to the website, and then other people can access um, that profile online somehow. I think that's how it works. And um, there is a way of knowing someone which involves simply having read their profile on a dating website. You might know if they are a morning person or an evening person, if they like cats or dogs. And that is a certain kind of knowing. But it's a very different thing to actually meet that person face to face, to have a coffee with them, to begin a relationship, to to, to become married to them. That's a whole different kind of relating. Moving from knowing about them to, to knowing them in a relationship And the false teachers that Jude is writing about, I think, are people who know something about God. They know some of the facts and figures, some of the details, although we've seen that actually to get some of that wrong as well. 
They know something of God, but they've never experienced what it means to actually relate to him, to be in a relationship with him, to, to experience his love for them. For them, God is some abstract academic um, being. I say that because uh, Jude says back in verse four that these false teachers have denied Jesus Christ. Or in verse 19, um, Jude says that they do not have the Spirit. They have no actual relationship with the one true God of the universe. But Jude says to his Christians, what about you? Well, you Christians, stay in God's love. The true God revealed in the faith once entrusted to the saints is a God who loves his people. He is a God who longs to relate to us, to have a meaningful, living, active, dynamic relationship with us. In fact, the whole Bible is a love story. It begins in the garden with God relating to his people. It was all ruined by sin, but it ends with that relationship restored. Do you know how Jude ends his letter? Verse 24, describing that moment in the future when we stand before God without fault and with great joy, the beginning of forever in that perfected relationship. The whole Bible is about being in a relationship with God, knowing his love for us, experiencing that in our lives day by day. And so Jude's point is extraordinarily simple. He says to his Christian readers, stay in God's love. Don't be like the false teachers who reduce their adherence to God to a set of abstract principles. Know that you are in a relationship of love. And for us here today, don't reduce our experience of being a Christian to adhering to a set of moral values or settling only for a diary that is crammed full of church meetings and serving rotors and involvement in small groups. No, the faith once entrusted to the saints is a faith that is all about relationship with the one true God, a relationship of love. We might think false teaching would never find a foothold here at Forward. But um, one very real danger for a church like Forward, a a relatively large church, a a well-established church, is that what attracts us to be involved here week by week becomes things like the excellent children's programs across the way or um, the wonderful singing that's well led by the band or the buzz of lots of different things happening week by week. And those are all good things. But if we make that the main thing, then we are opening ourselves up to drifting towards the mistake of the false teachers. The best news about the gospel, the heart of the Christian faith, is being able to know the one true living God, and to know that he loves us. It's a relationship. And so Jude would say to us, stay in God's love. What does that mean? Well, I think Jude then gives us three very clear instructions for how we are to do this. The first is there in verse 20. He writes, but you, dear friends... Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. 
In my previous church in Oxford, uh, they were involved in a major building project. It, it turns out that um, it's not unusual for church building projects to take um, many years. I think this one in Oxford took seven years. And when the time came for me to leave to come here, they had dug the foundations, they had begun to put the steel work up, and it was going very well, but it was definitely not finished. And then I had to leave. And uh, it would have been a shame, wouldn't it, if the church family had thought, well, let's just stop there. It's good enough with some steel work and some foundations. That'll do. They didn't obviously stop there. It was a great joy to come back a year later and see that they had finished the building work and it was wonderful and gleaming and a great place to meet, a great tool for ministry, um, which I think is good news for us here when we wonder how long it'll take to finish this building project. But that's the picture here in Jude 20. His Christian readers are like a building project and it's begun very well. The foundations have been laid on the holy faith. There is steel work going up and it's, it's, it's an excellent thing to see happening. It's, it's going very well. But Jude would say to him, you're not finished yet. Keep building. There's more to come. And so for us this morning, are we growing in our understanding of the faith once given? I think over the summer, as we many of us sort of shift routines. We have a great opportunity perhaps to invest a bit more time in, in growing our faith than we do during term time. Perhaps you might want to choose a particular Christian book that we want to really get to grips with. Perhaps you want to change how we do our personal daily Bible reading to spend perhaps a bit more time digging into a, um, a book of the Bible, grappling with the faith once entrusted to the saints. I was speaking to someone before this service and they were saying how when we have got free time over the summer, it does say a lot about what we care about when we use our flexible time. How do we want to spend it this summer? Well, Jude would say, make sure that a big part of it is building on the faith once entrusted. Or are we growing in our grasp of the implications of the gospel in our lives? When the exam results come back in a few weeks' time or our children receive exam results, How does the gospel shape our response, whatever happens in those results? In our marriages, how does the gospel shape how we forgive one another when we get it wrong? Or shape what we choose to talk about as a couple? How does the gospel influence how we view our jobs? If we we lose our job or we get a job promotion... In both those scenarios, how does the gospel change us? How are we building our lives on the framework, the foundation of the faith once given? And notice Jude talks in the plural. His perspective of the building work is not individual Christians doing their own little projects scattered around, but rather together as God's people, we build ourselves up together as one building which means that we need each other to be building well. The person you speak to after our meeting is finished, that person needs your help to keep growing. So when you speak, maybe state the obvious. Don't just assume that the gospel is front and center of their thoughts. Encourage them with with gospel truth that they already know but need to be reminded of. When it comes to our small groups, I know small group life is not always straightforward. They can at times be 
uh, frustrating or disappointing, but the reality is God has placed us in those small groups in this season to be a place where we can encourage each other to be building on the faith that we've been given. We need each other to be putting the scaffolding in place and the steelwork to go up and the bricks to be coming into place and the roof to go on as we build. And so Jude would say, stay in God's love by building. Next, stay in God's love by, by praying. Verse 20, and pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, Jude doesn't quite explain what he means here by praying in the Spirit, but I think it helps to glance back the previous verse to verse 19, where he also mentions the Spirit. And there, speaking of the false teachers, he says, these are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Here in verse 19, Jude is contrasting the, the false teachers who are just simply led by their own natural instincts as opposed to being led by the Spirit. That's the contrast in verse 19. Who's leading you? The false teachers, it's their own natural instincts, not the Spirit. And I think that thought cascades down to verse 20. So when it comes to our prayer life, who's leading our prayer life? Well, it's possible to, to be led by our own natural instincts, to pray for things that we want. But I think Judah's saying, let your prayer life be shaped to be led by the Spirit and the things the Spirit of God wants in our lives. And the letter of Jude is packed full of things the Spirit wants for the people of God. He wants us to go on contending for the faith. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. He wants us to live lives that are confident of the return of Christ and the mercy and judgment that will happen at that moment in history. And we could go on. But Jude would say to us, stay in God's love by praying. Now I know that our prayer lives is a source of guilt for almost every Christian I've ever met. And I don't want to make us guilty this morning. But if and we are, if we are in a relationship with living God, one of the key ways in which we will be growing and developing that relationship is through how we speak to him in prayer. When we humble ourselves and acknowledge our need and bring our requests to our heavenly father, and when we allow him then to answer those prayer requests and we see his good hand at work in our lives, that dynamic of prayer strengthens our relationship with him. It grows our confidence that there is a God who listens and is active in our lives. And if we are a Christian here today who is not a praying Christian, by that I mean on our own, in secret, when no one's around. We cannot be a Christian who is growing our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And a lifestyle lived that way will leave us open to drifting towards the danger of the false teachers whose understanding of God was purely academic and not relational. Jude says, pray in the spirit. So we stay in God's love by building, by praying, finally, by waiting. Verse 21. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Last Saturday, Lorna and I were traveling back from our holiday and um, 
We got stranded at the airport for 13 hours. Our, our plane had a technical problem. And uh, we were just sort of stuck there in the airport as you are. And we, we couldn't leave the airport. We couldn't really go um, anywhere apart from a couple of key rooms in the airports. And for many hours, we didn't know what was going to happen next. We didn't know if a plane was going to arrive to take us home or the old one was going to be fixed. Or We had very little information, very little clarity on what was going to happen. And we just sort of waited, like twiddling our thumbs for hours, kind of waiting. It wasn't particularly fun. And when Jude says, wait for Christ to return, that is not the kind of waiting he has in mind. We do know what will happen in the future. It'll be a day of mercy. See, when Christ returns, we know it, it will be a day where he is judge of every human being. But for those who are trusting in Christ, we know already what that verdict will be when he judges. It'll be not guilty. We don't deserve it, but because of his mercy, we will be welcomed into eternal life in the new creation. And so rather than um, being in the airport sort of bored and uncertain, don't wait that way. It's more like a, a child looking forward to Christmas Day or a couple who are longing for their wedding day. It's that kind of waiting, leaning forward with eager anticipation, absolutely confident of what will happen. Jude says, wait that way. I think the false teachers amongst the church, they, they think little of that future day. They don't think of God as judge. They don't think much of the joy of being in a relationship with God for eternity in the new creation. And it's easy for us to stop waiting, to be so preoccupied with the here and now that we're not leaning forward towards what is to come. And one of the key ways for us to remain in God's love is to rehearse and remind ourselves and each other of what is to come. The one who will judge us then came first to die on a cross. Be of no doubt, it'll be a day of unbelievable mercy and joy. A day when we begin the rest of our eternal lives living with God forever. Lean forward to that day, wait for it eagerly a day of mercy and love. And so Jude would say to us, as you contend for the faith once entrusted to the saints, yes, beware the false teachers, but, but Christians yourselves, stay in God's love. That's how you'll protect yourselves. But next and more quickly, I think he says to the church and to us, be merciful to strugglers. And it's not hard to see why. If there are false teachers around in the church who are spreading deceitful lies, Jude anticipates that there'll be some Christians who hear the false teaching and who begin to be led astray by it in various degrees. And so now he writes to show us how we should act towards those people who, if I can say this, are victims of the deceit of the false teachers. And I think he gives us three different kinds of people who are increasingly moving away from truth towards a dangerous error of the false teachers. So the first person is verse 22. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Uh, perhaps here is someone who has heard that because God is love, he'll accept you no matter what you do, both past, present, and future, which means you can just go on doing whatever you want in life. That's what the false teachers are saying. They're turning God's grace into a license for sin, so, for example, in the area of, of sexuality, which seems to be one of the big areas that they were getting it wrong, 
you can imagine the false teachers saying, God loves us, so it's okay for us to ignore his teaching on sexuality. We'll sleep with our boyfriend or girlfriend before we're married. And then a Christian hears them say that, and they think, well, if they're doing it, is it okay for me in my relationship to copy them? And so they doubt. Jude says, be merciful. Over the summer, perhaps we will spend time visiting family. Maybe we'll see friends we haven't seen for a while. Perhaps we'll bump into church family we don't see very often. And perhaps we'll hear a story of someone beginning to doubt. And there's a part of me that loves to jump in with both feet and to stomp around on the mistake and sort it out there and then. But Jude says, be merciful. Perhaps mercy means taking time to really listen to what the doubter is saying, not assuming we understand, allowing them to express the full story. Maybe mercy means not correcting them there and then, but storing it up and then looking for a better time later to bring it up in a more helpful way. Maybe mercy means understanding that we too are capable of making the very same mistakes. In fact, we have to receive God's mercy. Previous verse, verse 21, about so we have not got a chance to stand before our judge. And perhaps then that mercy cascades down to how we look after other people. But for those who begin to doubt, Jude says, be merciful. Then verse 23, I think is, is the next kind of person. He says, snatch others from the fire and save them. The image is of a, of a bonfire and there's a, a stick that's lying half in, half out of the fire. It's beginning to be consumed by the heat and destroyed by it. But someone comes in and pulls it out before it's too late. And I think this next person is is further down the line towards error. Perhaps they are now sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They're starting to occupy the lifestyle of the false teacher. They are in a much more danger than the doubter. And yet Jude says, go after them. Seek to bring them back, to save them, snatch them. Don't give up on them, even if they are moving away from the truth. And then there is one final group, verse 23. To others... Show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupting flesh. And here I think is a person who is now fully aligned with the false teachers at every level of their understanding of God and their lifestyle. And even then, Jude says, show mercy whilst keeping your distance. If someone goes out into the fields for a day of hard labor and work, uh, we know that um, the, the muck of the field will get their clothes dirty and their own sort of sweat and effort will also make the clothes dirty. And if you ever sat next to a person when they've come back from that kind of day of labor, then you might want to see them, but, but not too close. If they're sat on the table with you, they're, kind of, they're going to be on the next seat along. You, you don't kind of give them a hug. And I think that's the picture that Judah is using to say, when you see someone who is that far gone, steeped in sin, reach out to them, but, but don't get too close. And what we are to do is we are to point them to the one who will judge them, I think. 
Jude says, be merciful mixed with fear. And so remind them that a day is coming when the judge will return. And for those who are trusting in Jesus, because of his past death on the cross, that future day will be a day of mercy. Offer them mercy. But we must also help them to see that it will be a day of fear for those who do not turn and trust in Jesus. We must say both the mercy and the fear. In all three scenarios, Jude exhorts us in a, in a very challenging way. I, I know in my own heart, I, I tend either towards harshness, wanting to snuff out the mistake straight away, or I tend towards abandonment. I don't want the hassle of having to pursue a brother or a sister who's heading in the wrong direction. But Jude says, don't go for harshness, don't go for abandonment, but be merciful to strugglers. Finally, remain confident in God. Jude's letter is a scary letter. It's a scary thing to realize that in human history, every church, every local church has eventually succumbed to some kind of false teaching. But look at how Jude finishes, verse 24. He says, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Have you ever wondered why it is that you're still going in the Christian life? Have you ever wondered why it is that when you've been plagued by a season of crippling doubts, eventually those doubts have, have gone away? Or when you found yourself overwhelmed with sinful desires and tugged away from God, that eventually he's brought you back? Have you ever wondered if you'll keep going in the future? I know I often do. I've wondered if I were serving in a different church family that was less supportive in the gospel, less clear on what the faith was, if I was less well supported by um, the, the, the church family, like some of my friends are, I wonder if I would keep on preaching faithfully. I've wondered my, myself if one day I'll, I'll wake up and simply not care anymore about my sin. I'll think, who cares? I'll go my own way. I've wondered if I'll wake up one morning and, and not be confident that there's a day of judgment coming. That will be a day of fear, but also mercy. But I am still going. We are still going. Why? Because it is God who is keeping us. Notice how Jude puts the doctrine of God's sustaining sovereign care side by side with his urgent appeal back in verse 20 and 21 to, to, to keep ourselves going. For Jude, there's absolutely no incompatibility between the truth that God is the one who keeps us and the great urgent need for us to look after ourselves and to keep ourselves. Jude says both. But the bottom line is for Jude, that the reason why one day we will be face to face with our creator and the reason why it'll be a day where we are without fault and it'll be a day of great joy, the bottom line is that it is because God keeps us. And no wonder Jude bursts into a song of 
glory and praise and thanksgiving to that God. And so he would say to us, the, the road is uphill. There is a contending to be done that will be exhausting and physically wearying. We live in difficult times. But he calls us to be stuck into the fight by looking after ourselves, but ultimately by being confident that God will keep us. And may you do so. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that there's a day coming when we will stand before you without fault and with great joy. We thank you that that day will be the beginning of the rest of eternity, the day when we finally see you face to face, the day when our longings for that kind of relationship are are finally realized in reality. Father, what a day that will be. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your plans that involve a relationship with us, even us. And so, Father, please help us now to be Christians who stay in your love, who treasure that relationship. Help us to be merciful to those who are wavering and keep our eyes fixed on your sovereign, perfect care until that day comes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.